John 17 is where we are this morning as we talk about engage. John 17, the high priestly prayer, a wonderful prayer that Jesus prayed to his father. And as you are turning there, just a few things about this passage. The first part of it, Jesus is praying to his father. The second part of it, he prays to his disciples and then to us. And then that third part of it, he's mainly praying to us today, the disciples who followed his original disciples. And we're going to focus primarily on his prayer to the disciples and to us today. So John 17, beginning with verse 9, this is the reading of God's holy word. Jesus prayed, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and all these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may, may, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. This is the longest recorded prayer of the New Testament that Jesus prayed right before he went into heaven and ascended into heaven. And what he was praying was specifically for his disciples to continue on the mission that he had laid, that he had started. Jesus gave a plan for when he would leave, and that plan was us, his church. And we are called to be people on mission. We are not called to isolate ourselves from this world, to segregate ourselves and separate from it. We also are not called to assimilate this world, to accommodate and to blend in with the world around us. But we are called to be in the world and not of the world, which means we are called to thoughtfully engage the culture that we're in. We are to be people on mission. We are not to assimilate. We're not to isolate. But we are called to engage the world that we are placed in for this time and for this season. Now, as I was reflecting on this passage, I came across an example a couple weeks ago. Uh, 20 years ago, Bosnia was hit with war. Many of you remember that, the War of Bosnia. And there was a situation in Bosnia where they had already been hit by a number of bombs. There were buildings that were torn down and rubble everywhere all over the city. 
And there, was, there were a, a number of people who were standing in line waiting to get bread because they, they had no food. And as they're waiting to get bread, one of the bombs, a stray bomb had detonated and it exploded and killed all these people, these innocent people who are waiting to get bread. It was a tragedy all over Bosnia and all over the world. Well, right after that took place, shortly after, uh, there was a man, his name was Vidron Smilovic. Vidron Smilovic is a professional, professional cellist. And what he did was unthinkable. He put on a tux, he got into the rubble, and he started playing a concert. He ended up playing 22 different concerts in that rubble. And it was designed to honor the lives of those people who were standing in line waiting killed by this storm. And it was also to make sweet music in a time of war. Now, most of us in that situation would be outside of the rubble and we would look from the outside and say, why did this happen? And what do we do now? But what did Vidron do? He rolled up his sleeves. He got literally in the rubble and he played beautiful music. He provided hope in hopeless times. Just like Smilovich did that day, we as believers are called to get into the rubble. After all, we're living in a society that is increasingly changing, it's complex. It's a society that is drifting further and further away from God and from Jesus and his word. And as believers, we've got to be strong We've got to be courageous, and we've got to be able to make sweet music in this hopeless time. After all, we have the greatest hope imaginable. It's Jesus Christ. It's, he's the good news. And we are to proclaim this good news to this corrupt world that we are living in. As I mentioned earlier, we're, we're focusing as a leadership and as a church on the word engage because it means to attract, to captivate, to draw. It means to participate, to join with. That's what it means. So you're gonna be hearing this word in the next three years by me and by our leadership because it's important for us to not only engage this changing culture, but to engage with one another because we need each other desperately. And as I focus on John 17 this morning, there's three things that Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed first that they would be protected, second that they would be sanctified, and third that they would be unified. The first thing he prayed to the Father was that his disciples would be protected. Verse 11, he said, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. You know that word keep, it means to protect means to preserve. It means to guard. Jesus is praying for us today, and that should give you a hope. He's praying for us today to the Father. He's mediating on our behalf to the Father, and he's praying for our protection. He's asking the Father to keep us in the palm of his hand, to have a, a firm grip on us so that we won't be let go, and we won't be withdrawn and on our own. You know that word keep, it's, it reminds me of 
a shepherd keeping watch over his flock. But you know what also it reminds me of? It reminds me when I'm in Turkey Creek. And it reminds me when I'm with my little daughter, Sarah, who is six. What do I do with Sarah when I'm in the parking lot and all these crazy cars are driving around? I got a grip on Sarah and I don't let her go. Because if I let her go, she may not know that this oncoming car is going to knock her and kill her. So I got my firm grip. Now, if Sarah had her grip on me, that might be different because she may let it go. She may not be, have a firm grip. And she may wander off and get hit by a car. That's why I have my grip on her. Because I promise you, I'm not going to let her go. Now, I'm not hurting her. <laughs> but I got a grip on her. And I'm not going to let that girl go. Because I know if I let her go, she could get hit. Because she won't know what's coming. That's the kind of grip that Jesus is praying that the Father will have on us. That he won't let us get hit by the hard knocks in life where we're just completely depressed and down for the rest of our lives. But he's got our grip. He's got his grip on us. He's keeping us. And who is he protecting us from? He's protecting us from two things. First, the world, and second, the devil. Verse 14, Jesus said, I've given them your word. The word has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I've given them your word, but yet the world hates them because their home is in heaven, not here. They do things differently than than the world. You know, I've talked to many of you, and many of you are in situations right now, whether it's in school or whether at work, where you're feeling the pressure of society the heat. I kid you not, I was talking to a guy this week, member of our church, sitting in this room right now. He's working for a company that is saying, I'm watching your every move because he works from home and he has a supervisor watching him. And he says, I want you to please the client. And if the client wants you to refer to them by a certain pronoun, you refer to them by that certain pronoun. And I'm watching your move. And he says, I'm calling that person by their name. That's how I'll identify. And they said, not good enough. So they were literally watching his move, threatening his job. That's a guy right here in this room. There's another guy in this room right now who is working for a company, and they're saying, you have to attend these mandatory trainings or your job's on the line. And these trainings are promoting things that are outside of biblical truth that go directly against the scriptures. So this man is feeling the heat. What do I do in this situation? I talk to many students who are saying, I'm hearing these things, whether it's even, even with my whole school co-op or Christian school or public school, I'm hearing these things and I don't know what to do with it. This is happening all the time. I talk to many of you who have grown kids who are thinking differently than you. And they're saying, why, why don't you accept our belief, mom and dad? After all, you know, marriage has evolved Culture's changing. You're old-fashioned for believing what you believe. And you're saying, no, this is the scriptures. The scriptures have been around for thousands of years. And it's the same message throughout. The word doesn't change. Culture may change, but the word doesn't. This is the world we're finding ourselves in. And it's hard. That's why we say the term, it's increasingly challenging. So what do we need? We need Jesus We need his prayers to the Father that he would protect us and hold us tight because we're just getting hit left and right from the world around us. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, 
no turning back. Jesus is praying for our protection from the world because we need it. He's also praying that we would be protected from Satan. Verse 15, I do not, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from who? The evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. What Jesus is saying here is that the devil is real, his demons are real, and they're seeking to devour God's people. You know what Satan tries to do? He tries to do a number of things to us as believers. He tries to depress us. He tries to throw things our way so that we'll be depressed. Depression is high right now in our society. Suicide rate is high. Why? Well, I believe the devil's at work. He's trying to to feed lies in our minds that the truth isn't real and that we are to follow him. You know what else he does? He, He tries to tempt us into sexual sin. You know what else he does? He, he tries to lead us into pride, thinking that we've accomplished everything. He tries to break up the church. He tries to divide us. He also tries to allure us with the ways of the world so that we begin to believe things we would have never believed before and do things we would have never done before. That's what Satan does. And before we come to faith in Christ, we are under his rulership. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were under the prince of the power of the air in which we once walked following his course. And then it's the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We also know in 1 Peter 5, 8 that the devil is like a lion looking to devour us. So we are to be watchful. We are to be sober-minded because he is looking to devour us. So that's why we need God the Father to protect us because Satan is real and he wants to take us down. He wants to divide the church. Mitchell Moore, one of our elders, was telling me recently, things are going well in the church and there's just a lot of things happening. We've had, we've had a lot of health issues, a lot of things going on and he's saying, something must be going right because there's, we're just getting hit left and right. That's what Satan does. He hits us left and right. So we need God the Father to protect us from not only the world, but from the, from the devil. So Jesus prays for us that we be protected. He also prays that we be sanctified. Verses 17 to 19, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You know, the word sanctified, it means to make holy. It was actually used as a pagan term back in Jesus' day. I didn't know this till this week, but it was used to dedicate for a specific use. And it was used for pagan worship where they would, they would have a process to make something clean and it would be set aside for a special use of worshiping false gods. Well, Jesus is using this pagan term in our context saying, he wants to set aside God's people He wants to make us pure and right and good only through him so that we can be set aside for a specific purpose. And that purpose is the mission that he gives us to go and make disciples and to make an impact while we're here on this earth. We're set aside for this specific purpose. And how do we become more like Christ? It's his word. And if you notice here, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth because your word is true. Your word is true. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to my pastor friends, I've seen other pastors, I've seen other Christians who grew up in the church 
who now they're quoting other authors and not scripture. You know, people begin to read the, the latest the latest author, or they follow a guy on YouTube, or, or they begin to read different philosophy and study different theologians. And, and that's good, as long as you have a, a good balance with the word. If you're still reading the word, and you're reading the word even more than the other authors, you'll, you'll be okay. But it's when you begin to read all these other authors and all these latest things, and you, and you have very little word in your study, where you'll begin to drift. And I see it all the time, where people begin to start quoting authors instead of scripture. That's a problem. It's okay to quote authors. I do it all the time, but you hear me. I quote scripture upon scripture upon scripture. Why? Because it's true. How do we set ourselves apart from the world? How do we look different? How do we act different? It's the word. And it's the the word of God that leads to godliness. And if we don't spend time in the word, we will easily cave into the pressures of this life We'll begin to look more and act more like the world, and people won't tell us apart from the world. So we need Jesus to continue to pray that we would be sanctified. We also need him to pray that we would be unified. Verses 20 through 23. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love me or love them even as you love me. You know, it's, it's mentioned here twice, but Jesus is praying, Father, keep the believers one, united as one, just as we are one, the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. You know, when you study the Trinity, it's, it blows your mind. Three persons, one God. Three persons of the same substance, equal in power and in glory. It's amazing when you study the three persons of the Trinity. You know, when you look at creation, when you look at, when you look at salvation, it's as if they have uh, an economic division of labor amongst the three. You know, the Father, when it comes to salvation, he elects us before the foundation of the world. He chooses us. What does the Son do? He comes and he saves us. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit changes us and he applies that salvation in our lives. They're all working together because they're one God. There's beauty in diversity and unity and diversity. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Father, you and I are one and I'm I'm asking you to get your people to be one, to be one. So (laughs) it doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter what spiritual gifts you have or what preferences or personality you have, what social class you come from, how old or young you are. What Jesus is saying is you bring all together and that's the beauty of the church. That is true unity. When all those things come together as one and Jesus is praying, Father, keep them one. Bring the different ethnic groups together. Bring male and female together. Bring the different age groups together. Bring the different spiritual gifts together. And that is my people. That is the beauty of the church. Now, he's not saying that the church should be uniformed 
You know what a uniform is? Those of you in Christian school or growing up in Christian school, you got to wear a uniform. You got to look the same. If you're in the military, what do you have to do? You have to look the same. You wear the same uniform. We, we went through boot camp. We had to march the same way in cadence. We had to say the same things. We had to follow the certain protocols. We have to look the same part. We had to have the same haircut and hairstyle. That's what you do in the military. It's uniform. That's not what Jesus is praying about. He's not saying make them the same. Don't make Christian clones. But he's saying, no, rather you bring the diversity and bring it together and you unify it. You unify it. And when that happens, you know what will take place. Jesus says, the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The world will know when your people are unified. They'll know. You know, I mentioned earlier, we were able as a, as a, a group of churches to gather our resources. We were like-minded. We focused on the essentials of the faith. And we said, even though we might do baptism different, or even though we, we might talk about predestination or free will, we're going to unite together because we love Jesus and we're going to serve this community. And we're able to gather our resources together and we started Renew Clinic. And you know what's been wonderful to watch with Renew Clinic? People that would not come to the church, they're coming to this clinic to get help and they're coming to faith. And then they're going into church. That's the beauty. That's the beauty when the church, the big C church works together. And so one thing we're challenging you to think about is when you leave this building today and go into your world to find other like-minded Christians of other denominations who love Jesus and work with them because you're gonna need them and they're gonna need you as this culture continues to become more hostile towards us as believers. So again, unity does not eliminate all distinctions. It doesn't mean we're uniform, we're the same people. No, it means that there's beauty and diversity. But the other thing I wanna say is, as Jesus is praying that we would be one, he's not just talking about the big C capital church, he's talking about his disciples. And I would say that translates to us at Christ's covenant. As the world around us continues to drift further from, from the Lord, we're gonna need each other to rely on. We're gonna need each other to support each other. As we're getting hit left and right, we need one another to rally around each other to care. And that's why part of our strategic plan is to multiply small groups. I believe that small groups is the primary way for us to really share life with to share life's joys and share life's struggles. You know, whenever somebody gets sick or gets in the hospital, you know who we go, we go to first? We go to that small group and we say, small group, can you go and visit them in the hospital? Can you take them meals? That's what a small group does. Can you go and celebrate when their kid graduates? Can you go and pray with them when they get diagnosed with cancer? That's what we do. And if you're only coming to church on Sunday mornings and you're sitting in the pew, you're not gonna get the support you need. You're not. Don't be so busy where you don't invest in other Christians in this room or in this church. And I would encourage you, find one. It just takes one. Guys, find another guy. Gals, find another gal. It just takes one. But you need one person who you can call on at 3 a.m. when you're in a bind. And we believe small groups is gonna be that vehicle to help recharge you, refuel you, so that when you come here on Sundays, when you come here for Bible study or small groups, you're spiritually fed, you're strengthened, and you're ready to go back out to the world. I'm gonna have Jim Cofield now. He's gonna share 
the vision we have for multiplying small groups. This is the way we do church often. This is the way most people do church. All the chairs in rows facing a lectern or a pulpit. It's a great way to learn. It's a great way to get information. But as the church begins to grow, it's easy for people to fall through the cracks and not know each other. One of the distinctives of the Christian life is that we belong to a community, to the body of Christ, not just to a, a group of ideas. And so one of the initiatives of the next three years at Christ's Covenant is to have more and more settings like this instead of settings like we talked about before. This is where people are facing one another and doing life together. They're crying together, they're talking together, they're studying together, they're praying together. They're creating small communities within the larger Christ covenant that will take care of each other and learn more about Jesus. True spiritual community. And that's one of the initiatives in the next three years here at Christ covenant. Several years ago, there was an incident that many of you remember. It's called the Miracle at Q Creek. It was in small town Pennsylvania where there were nine coal miners and they were trapped 240 feet underground for three days in a water-filled mine shaft. Uh, the mine was flooded and these men were without food and without drink for three days. The water was 55 degrees, but they ended up all surviving. Do you know how they survived? Well, they all agreed when they were down there, they didn't know how long this was going to take. They said, we're all going to live together or we're going to die together. Uh, one of them, when, when they would get really cold from the 55 degree water, when they would be, when they begin to kind of sink a little bit and get cold, the other eight would then literally get around that one and they would make sure and provide the body heat and the warmth and the help so that that person would regain their strength. And then once that person would have their strength regained, then there would be another one that would need help. And then the other eight would rally around that one person to make sure that they were strengthened. After they were rescued, miner Harry Mayhew, he told reporters, he said, everybody had strong moments, but any certain time, maybe one guy got down and then the rest pulled together. And then that guy would get back up and maybe someone else would feel a little weaker, but it was a team effort. That's the only way it could have been. You know, they faced incredible hostile conditions together, but the world marveled when they came out all alive. That's what Jesus is praying in John 17, that the world will marvel at his people when they rally around each other when they help each other through life's ups and downs, that the world that's watching us, they'll see true love and they'll see the love of Christ by the way we love one another and they'll say, I've gotta be a part of that. I've got to be a part of that. I'm telling you, the world is watching our moves, what we say, what we do. And it starts here at our home base. It starts here at our church. We've got to love one another well. We've got to care for one another well. And as we do that, you'll see that it will be attractive to many. And they'll say, I want to be a part of that. So again, as we engage this culture, be reminded Jesus is praying for you, that you'll be protected, that you'll be sanctified, and that you'll be unified with one another.